Welcome to the new year. We started it off last week with a sermon series called Mindset, and I'm going to go further in that series today. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Open with me to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And just hold your place there. I got a lot of scripture today, so if you got your Bible with you, uh, or your phone on the Bible on the phone, just walk with me today, okay? Hope, hopefully, you're reading your Bible this year. It's a great, it's a great time to start reading it through again. You know, there's all kinds of great plans. I recommend you version Bible because you version Bible's got everything you want on there. And I mean, if you if you hate reading, they'll read it to you. If you can't stand a boring audio version, there's dramatized versions with, you know, like, you know, right and Jesus stepped out on the bow. It's a bad, it's a bad interpretation of it, but you can get, you can get the word in you. You can get the word in you. Amen. So uh, talking about mindset, mindset, I began last week talking about, um, Entering the new year with the proper mindset and how we had to fight for the faith we believe in. You know, I read that passage out of 1 Timothy where Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. So we fight for what we believe. Because sure enough, circumstances in the world comes against us and, and will challenge what we believe and try, tries to suck it out of us. You know, There's a real devil in the world. He is a real malevolent force coming against us and he'll try to suck the word out and get us to where we don't believe it. So we fight the good fight of faith. And I talked about clothing ourselves in God's armor, which really is his fullness, clothing ourselves with all the fullness of God. And so today I just want to take it another step, and I want to talk about our view of God or, a, or God views. There was a teaching series that came out through the Pentecostal Holiness guys years ago uh, called God Views. And there was an actor... Who, a professional actor who would get out on stage and he would act out, you know, people's different view of God. Some believed in God as an old man who, you know, couldn't hardly help you at all in life. And some believed God was this mean judge that just sat there to knock you down at every wrong turn in life. You know, so, so and the goal was to paint the appropriate picture of God or the, or, or the Father in people's minds. So I'm going to try to do that this morning, okay? Because Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. Jesus came, and we never really see this language anywhere else in the Bible before he comes, but he comes and he calls God Father. It's, it's cool. He calls him Abba. He calls him Abba. How many have heard the term Abba? He calls him Abba. And, and it was an intimate term for Dad. You know, uh, debate over it, but nonetheless, it it was a term of intimacy. You know, I don't know, I don't know what kind of background you came from, or if you have a view of a father that was maybe dysfunctional. Uh, and sometimes people come into Christianity and their walk with Christ and their view of their earthly father clouds or skews their view of God the Father. But uh, I'm believing that's all going to be gone this morning. And you're going to have a proper view of God as Father in your life. Amen? And all that the Father wants to do for you. So there's a song a guy named Pat Barrett wrote. I met him a few years ago in an airport and talked to him. He's a really nice guy. He wrote a song called Good, Good Father. He's a good, good father. Amen? 
You know, when you repeat something twice, it amplifies the magnitude of it. So Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you. So when you say, you, you're a, you know, when you women say to your husband, you're a hot, hot husband. <laughs> this second service, I just go, I just, I just take the bridle off and say whatever I want to. Or you men tell your wife, you're a hot, hot wife. It's like, can't get any better than that, right? God is good. Come on, shout it out. He is a good, good father. He, come on, one more time. He is a good, good father. Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. It's interesting that the Bible often links tax collectors with sinners. Because if you understand in the ancient Roman times, the tax collectors were hated in Palestinian communities because the tax collectors, to my understanding, were, were kind of contracted. They, they won a bid to contract the job of uh, collecting taxes from the Roman Empire. And then once they won that bid, they would go off on their own and often take above what was required or some of them could be super dishonest. or, 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 or and, and, and if nothing else... They represented the Roman Empire, which people didn't want in their lives anyhow. So the tax collectors were not well-liked people in the community. Isn't it interesting that the man writing the book of Matthew was one? And Jesus called one of these hated guys to be his disciple and his follower. Amen? And so... Uh, they're often linked with just sinners, those not obeying the law of God. So Jesus is hanging out with these guys. And it says, and the Pharisees and scribes, scribes were those religious leaders that were centered in the, in the temple. And the Pharisees were local community teachers of the law who were actually very popular and loved. So the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now it's important every time you read a Bible story like this to look at the context and the setting because the rule is context rules. And the setting, the context and the setting of the context gives us an understanding of what's, what Jesus is trying to do here in this particular case. And so Jesus tells three parables or three stories. I'm only going to read the first one. And he says, What man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. He goes on down and he tells another story of a woman who lost a precious coin. And she turned the house upside down and looked for that coin diligently. And then finally she found it and she rejoiced and she called her friends and neighbors together. The last story is, a, is of a man who has two sons. The younger son came to the man and demanded his inheritance now. Which was basically telling his father, I consider you dead to me. He demanded the inheritance now, and then he went out and he blew every dime of it. He went out and lived wild, a wild life, and he ends up in the worst position a Jew could end up, in the hog slop with the pigs. 
And then he realizes where he's at and he comes to his senses and he, and he prays and he says, Lord, even in my father's house, the servants have better to eat than this. I will arise and go to my father. And, I will t and he had this rehearsed speech. And so when he comes home, he's just going to ask for mercy that the father would at least let him just be a servant in the house. But something surprising happens. And that crowd that was that were listening to Jesus, the Pharisees and scribes, had to be shaken when he said this. He said when the young boy came home, his father was waiting on him. And he didn't come out and judge him and scold him, but he ran out and he hugged him. And then he said, bring out the robe and the sandals and the, the gold coin, all signs of sonship, and put them on him. And then he called all the neighbors and he had a great party. So three things are consistent in each of these three parables. Number one, something precious is lost. Number two, there's a search that ensues for that precious thing. And number three, once the precious thing is found, there's a party that happens. And what Jesus is saying in front of the Pharisees and scribes who were criticizing him for eating with lost people is that this is the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is to come and find the lost. The heart of the Father is to search out those who aren't righteous. You know, Jesus said in Matthew, when Matthew got to tell his story, he had the same scenario that, um, that Jesus came to his house after he had called him and he was a tax collector and he's hanging out with sinners. And Jesus comes to his house and he says, I didn't come, I, I, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. Because the well don't need a physician. I've come for the sick who need a spiritual doctor. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The heart of the Father is to seek and save the lost. God's love is toward you. God's love is toward you. are not in this building today by chance. You're here by divine design, I believe. God has you here for a purpose because he wants to show his love toward you. But what hinders us often from receiving all that God has for us is a wrong view of the Father. That we can't sometimes see that God really does want good for us and he really does want to bless our lives and he really has come to seek us out and to find us and to bring us back to him. So all of us in this church this morning, we're all testimonies to that. There wasn't one of us born perfect. If you were, excuse us all. But none of us were born, not one of us was born perfect. We all were born into a world bent with sin, and we all had a bent towards sin. And iniquity was conceived, said the psalmist. So we had to all come to Christ and come to the cross on our own. You know, David Duplessis, is a great uh, leader years ago, said God has no grandchildren. You know, God only has children. Each one of us has to come to him as his child and accept forgiveness. And God's heart is for us. He's calling the lost. He's calling us unto himself. And he calls us unto himself so that we could experience all of who he is. All of who he is and all of his love and all of his blessing for us. I know this is like elementary preaching, but we need some elementary preaching every now and then. God loves you. 
He's a good, good father. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you in this life. He's come to make you. He's come to open the doors of opportunity and blessing to you. He's come to heal you, deliver you, set you free, set your mind right. He's come to bless you with great friends and relationships. He's come to bless you and give you spiritual revelation of who he is. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the gifts of the spirit. He's given us the church, the family of God. He's given us all of this so that he can perform his wonders and works through us in this life. Somebody shout amen or oh me. So turn with me back. Keep your Bibles with you there and go back to the book of Psalm chapter 27 or Psalm 27. Garn and the team just sang about this. They just sang these exact words from, a, I think it's from the NIV translation. I'm reading the New King James, but listen, the meaning's the same. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have given up. I know I've read this many times here, but it's worth hearing again. I would have given up. I would have tapped out. I would have quit. I would have gone home and taken my toys with me had I not believed that in this life God would show me His goodness. Think about David's life. David had been through betrayal. David had had, had problems himself. He committed adultery. He had sinned in numbering the people when God told him not to at one time. He wasn't a perfect guy, but he had a heart after God. And at one point, you know, uh, he comes to the fullness of the kingdom, really, and he's looking back over all he'd been through, and he had been chased by Saul and gone through the wilderness. He had to act as a madman one time in an enemy camp so they wouldn't kill him, and he's... I mean, on and on and on and on and on he had been there. He went down to the, the tabernacle and uh, they had been kind. The priests had been kind to him at the tabernacle. So Saul sent soldiers down there to kill every priest there because David had been there. I mean, he was betrayed by his son Absalom and he had to, be, uh, he had to leave the kingdom and, and go out kind of into no man's land just because his son had deceived him and on and on and on. And so he had a lot of opportunities in his life to just say, I'm done. I'm going to go ten sheep somewhere way out in the country and never come back to Jerusalem. But that wasn't his heart. He knew that God had intended good for him. And he knew that God wanted good in his life. And that kept him going. It keeps you going when you go through trials or go through loss or go through problems. It keeps you going knowing tomorrow the sun's going to shine again. Tomorrow his mercies will be new to me again. Tomorrow he has planned good for me and I believe it's coming even though I may not see it now. I believe God is going to bring good back into my life. I'm just going to walk and walk softly before him and obey his word and keep my heart pure. And as I do that, I know God has determined to mark my life with goodness and allow me to be a blessing to other people. Come on, can somebody shout amen? So turn over to Psalm 103. And let's look at another psalm of David and some of the benefits that come as a person in his kingdom. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How many knows being in the kingdom comes with benefits? There's a great pay package. And there's phenomenal retirement. I said there's a great pay package and retirement that's out of this world. That's cheesy, but I had to say it. There's retirement that's out of this world. God has benefit. When you come to serve him, he wants to open up your life and start pouring in benefits into your life. What are these benefits? Who forgives all your iniquities. Somebody say all. All All means not part. All means not just a few. All means all. That when we come to the Lord, He comes not with a portion of forgiving power and says, I'm going to forgive you. Let's see, this last six months maybe. But we go back beyond that. I don't know about some of that stuff. No, God doesn't do that. He takes the board or what? I mean, this figurative board in heaven that's got all of your sins and all of your bad stuff on it and God starts taking the Holy Ghost eraser and just starts erasing every one of them once you come to Him. He erases them all and now you are justified just as if you'd never sinned. Now the legal the law that you had broken and the commands you had broken and all that you had done in your life that had caused you to be in, in, the, the, in hock and in the, on the witness stand, God eliminated, so now there's no accusations. There's no accusations that can be hurled at you legitimately anymore because it's all gone. So when Satan comes and tries to bring up 1993, or junior year in high school, or freshman year in college, or whatever, or boot camp. When he tries to bring up that stuff, if you go back through the records of heaven, it doesn't exist anymore. And when God forgives, he forgives not like men forgive. Because men forgive but always remember. And men forgive and maybe never trust again. And men forgive and will never give you an opportunity again. God doesn't do that. When God forgives, He opens up His heart and He receives you just as if you had never sinned. And when God forgives, He doesn't remember anymore. He chooses and decrees not to remember anymore the things that you did, the transgressions. They're completely gone. So when Satan goes searching for them, God says, I don't know what you're talking about it because I've searched the database in heaven and all of Hans's sins are gone. Come on, somebody, shout hallelujah. Raise your hand and shout, thank God all of my sins are gone. That makes me want to run to Kentucky Fried Chicken and back. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, shout shout it out, all. I once was standing on the auction block of sin. Satan had my number and he held the highest bid. 
But ownership was transferred way back at Calvary when the son said, you can go free. And who the son sets free is free indeed. I love that song. Well, hallelujah. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Get religion out of your mind. Get past experiences out of your mind. And just hear the word of the Lord afresh. He forgives all of your iniquities and he heals all your diseases. It's in the New Testament, in the Gospels, there's a term for salvation. And that term for salvation is sometimes translated salvation and sometimes it's translated healing. So it becomes two parts of the same gospel. One of the greatest healing evangelists ever was a guy named T.L. Osborne. He taught this, that, he, that the gospel comes with two, in twofold. It comes in forgiveness and in healing. And if you notice the Gospels, that's how it worked. Jesus came with forgiving power and healing demonstration. When the apostles preached, they came with preaching the kingdom of heaven and repentance. They preached repentance strong. And then they demonstrated the Gospel through healing and deliverance and signs and wonders. So he didn't say he heals a few of your diseases. No, it says he heals all of your diseases. He forgives all sin. He heals all diseases. And then he says this, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I don't think we have to go headlong in destruction. We've been redeemed from destruction. And now God has crowned us with loving kindness. That's the grace that is on our lives from now on. Now we walk in the grace of all He's done. And not only that, He satisfies our youth or renews our youth like the eagles. That means you can gracefully age and still be blessed. I'm just going to say some wild stuff. You can get old and still look good. You can get old and still feel good. You don't have to receive all that the world says is going to come on you as an older person. I don't receive it. I stopped receiving it. I heard a negative doctor's report the other day that somebody brought to me, and I said, I don't believe it, don't receive it, get it out of my mind. I'm just not entertaining. I'm not that I'm, I'm not dumb to things. I understand, but I just, I'm just going to choose to believe the report of the Lord over every other man's word. There was a lady this morning that came to Pastor's Coffee and she just looked fantastic. And she said, I'm 92. And drove here this morning to church. And she said, I got a lot of things I want to do in life. I said, you're going to live a long time. You have a, lot, you have a, you have a determination like that, you're going to live a long time. Hallelujah. You can't give up hope. There's so much power is in the will of man that I've seen it happen so many times. People who want to live and have a will to live and have a zest for life, they live, man. They live and they do great things and they accomplish a lot. I don't want to give up and go home. And uh, I'm like Brother Ted Shuttlesworth. Ted Shuttlesworth said, I retired recently. Got four new ones down at the uh, tire store. Some of y'all get that at lunch, but anyhow... 
That's the retiring I want. Go down and get four new tires down at Goodyear or whatever. Hallelujah. Come on, when you get older, you just get more powerful. You just have more experience. You have more anointing on you. You have more understanding and discernment in your life. Hallelujah. You have more wisdom you're carrying around. More word is in you. If you've been doing anything, you should be packed solid with the word. Somebody shout hallelujah. God can do stuff oil of Olay can't even come close to. I'm showing my age now, right? Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 8. I want to show you that. Okay, so if Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father, and the heart of the Father is the, is the picture of a good, good Father, then we have to get that mindset in our, in our minds, in our hearts, that God is a good, good Father, and that God's come to do good things for us. So Jesus was God in flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. He was God in flesh. Paul said how uh, he came and preached the gospel, how God became flesh and preached the gospel into the Gentiles, was seen of angels and, and received up into heaven. This is the testimony that you know, Peter said. We have handled the word of life ourselves. We were with him. I was with him on the holy mountain when he was changed from a, from a normal person and his clothes shone as bright as an angel's clothes. You know, uh, he, I was there. I saw who he really was. So, so Jesus was God in flesh re revealing unto us the heart of the Father. Now, let's roll with this. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus comes down from the mountain teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he comes down and he encounters a leper. And the leper says to him and expresses an idea that many of us carry around. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. So there's this wrestling with is it the will of God or not. And, and when we live in that wrestling of if it's God's will or not, it really cuts out the legs of our faith to stand on. It really does. If, we, if we're, we're wrestling with, is this God, did God put this sickness on somebody or did God really, he maybe didn't put it, but he steps back a step in sovereignty and allows all of this to happen. Well, if we took that view, this is going to sound hard, but listen to me. If we take that philosophical stance, then God allows everything to happen. All the child sacrifice, all the perversion in the world, all the wars in the world, all the famine. If you have that strong view of sovereignty, that God allows all this to happen. I believe we're in a fallen world that Satan has wrecked and sin has wrecked. Jesus has come into the world to do warfare and to rescue and redeem this world from the curse of sin and from the presence of the enemy. That's my view. And I'm getting stronger in it every day. I really am. And so he has given us the power. He's left the keys of the shop in our hands, so to speak. And now we have the authority and power to go out and do what he did. Do war against Satan and his devil and his devils and to redeem back the earth from sin and the sin-cursed nests of planet earth. God has placed it in our hand, the hands of the church. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I know this offends some people who've been baptized in some of this evangelical theology we hear going around, but I'm just going to tell you, man, I'm, I'm going to believe the word above every theologian. I'm going to believe the word, word above every radio preacher. Jesus looks at him and says, I am willing. Be cleansed. 
I know it was a one-time happening, but it also is the same approach he had to every other sick person. So if that's the case, then it tells me that this wasn't just a one-time, this time I'm willing. I'll let it happen this time, but we won't see this happening. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. Every time someone came to Jesus, this was the heart of the Father. I am willing. Thank you for asking. I am willing. Be cleansed. There was never a sickness too hard for Jesus to heal. There was never an encounter he had that was a devil that was too strong for him to deal with. The only place in the scriptures where he didn't do many miracles was in his hometown of Nazareth because of their unbelief. God has come down. He's come down in the form of humanity and he's come down through this one person and he's bringing his will and his word into a fallen world, into a war zone. The next passage, he goes on and he meets a centurion who was a commander of forces in the Roman army. And he goes to this centurion. The centurion comes and says, listen, I have a servant that's lying home at the point of death. Jesus says, I'll come and I'll heal him. And the centurion said, no, that's not necessary. See, I'm in the army, and I understand the power of command, and I understand authority, and I understand rank, and I understand decrees. All you have to do is say a word, and he'll be made whole. When I get a command from Rome, however it comes, I'm to obey it. I'm not to question it. I'm not to argue it. I'm not to criticize. I'm to go do what I've been commanded to do. And all you have to do is say the word. Hallelujah. And when you say the word, he'll be made whole. And Jesus marveled at this man's faith. And then the Bible says at the end, he was completely and totally healed. Notice, notice Matthew chapter 8, verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done to you. As you have believed, so let it be done to you. You get what you believe. As you have believed, so let it be done to you. And the boy was healed in the selfsame hour. Because once God says it, it's out there and the work is being done. Hallelujah. What happens next? He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. Because Peter was married. He shows up at Peter's mother-in-law's house and she has a fever. The Bible says Jesus goes in and touches her. The fever leaves her. And then she gets up and cooks dinner for him. And then in the next passage, it says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all. Everyone who showed up. I don't think it's just speaking hyperbole. Everyone who showed up got healed. Why? Because the Son of God is here showing the heart of the Father. This is what the Father looks like. The Father seeks those who are lost. The Father heals those who are sick. The Father forgives those who have sinned. Come on, let this get through to your spirit in Jesus' name. Come on, let this get in your heart and mind in Jesus' name. So what happens next? If you keep on going here, he calms the storms and seas. And then he, he's, he's dropped off at the Sea of Galilee at a place called, uh, at the valley or land of the Gergesenes. And he comes onto the land of the Gergesenes and two demon-possessed men come to him. And when they come to him, the demons see him and begin crying out, Have you come to torment us before our time? 
please, let us go into the herd of pigs. And Jesus says one word, go. And all the demons go and those two men are made completely whole. I'm going to give you three very simple things. First of all, God wants you whole. God wants you whole. God wants you whole. I don't care what we've been taught, what we've seen. God wants us whole. God wants us. God wants you whole. God wants you healed. God wants you to receive the healing power that He's provided. God wants you healed physically, mentally, and spiritually. God wants you healed. God wants you whole. I'm gonna say it till you get it. God wants you whole. Look at somebody next to him. Say, God wants you whole. Stop talking everything else. Well, maybe this is the Lord's will teaching me a lesson. Maybe cancer's deal. I'm dealing with that because it's teaching you no lessons. The Bible teaches you and the Word of God teaches you. Hallelujah. Don't believe that God is allowing this to teach you some kind of lesson. We learn through the Word and through the Scripture. Hallelujah. Believe me, I walked this walk and I came out a believer even more. Hallelujah. God heals us and His healing power is available. I don't have all the answers to why some people aren't healed. We'll figure that over the, out over there. But you know what? It's not given to me to know a lot of things. I know what's been revealed to me in the Scripture and I'm going on what's been revealed to me in the Scripture. My revelation is you shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. My revelation is I am the Lord that heals you. My revelation is by his stripes I am healed. My revelation is he sent his word and healed them. My revelation is he healed all who came that evening. Come on. If you believe it, raise your hand and shout it out. I am whole. Then he comes and he casts out the demons you know, the first miracle of Jesus in the book of Mark was a deliverance miracle. He walks into the synagogue and a demon-possessed man cries out. My question is, how long had that demon-possessed man been coming to synagogue? How long had he been coming to synagogue and never manifested at all? But when Jesus walked in, the demons couldn't stand it. He walks in, that boy manifests a demon and Jesus casts out the demons and then it's on from there. And every demon-possessed person who came to him, he delivered, completely set free. Why? Because he's showing the heart of the Father. Some of you are wrestling with demonic spirits you don't even know that you're wrestling with. You think it's just your thoughts or you just think it's a generational thing going on in your life. Grandma's like this and daddy was like this. And I'm telling you, a lot of it you're dealing with are demonic spirits. You need to open your eyes and start praying and realizing sometimes the night dreams you're having are demonic in nature. Sometimes the lusts and cravings you're having are being provoked by demonic spirits. I'm telling you, it's nothing to play with. Sometimes you're opening up your, your spirit through the eye gates of what you're watching. Sometimes you're opening up through your ear gates through what you're hearing. Sometimes some well-intentioned people come and pour a megaton of doubt and unbelief into your heart. You need to shut it down, start rebuking it, and say, God, I take your word. I rebuke every devil from my life. I cleanse my house. I anoint my doors. I shut off the voice of the enemy. I shut out the voice of the world and I'm going to consecrate myself to you God and I'm going to believe for full deliverance and I hear your voice and a stranger I will not follow come on somebody shout hallelujah 
You do not have to live under the oppression of the enemy. You do not have to live under the torment of the enemy. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to set you free. You don't have to live tormented. You don't have to live with depression. You don't have to live with anxiety. You don't have to live with suicidal thoughts. You don't have to live with a fear of death. You don't have to live with a fear of catching cancer, catching the flu, or catching COVID, or catching whatever else the devil throws. You don't have to live in that. Rise up, man of God. Rise up, woman of God. Walk in faith. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He's given you authority over every power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm you. You're going to walk and tread on serpents and scorpions. You can do greater works than these because he's gone to the Father. Rise up, man of God. Rise up, woman of God. Take your place in the kingdom. Believe that all things are possible. Come on, give him a shout like you believe every word. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody's getting set free right now. Come on. Come on, shout it out. God wants me whole. And God wants me free. All right, let me do a few more minutes. KFC will still be open. Come on, Brother Roger, receive the healing power of Jesus right now. Come on, Kyle, lay hands on him right now in Jesus' name. Receive the healing virtue of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody pray right now. Hallelujah. Something interesting is right after Jesus had this outdoor meeting where everyone was healed in Mark chapter 8, Matthew, who's writing the gospel, inserts his own commentary. And he says this in chapter 8, verse 17. He healed all that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet 
saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So when we look at Isaiah 53, which he's quoting, we, it was part of what we call the servant psalms of Isaiah. And he's talking about really restoration of Israel and Israel coming out of captivity and God restoring them. So when some theologians have looked at this, they say it's really about the forgiveness of the nation of Israel. Well, I will say that's true. And that's probably the first interpretive answer. But the cool thing about God in the Bible is he has multiple fulfillments sometimes of prophetic words. And Isaiah was saying something he probably didn't even understand. That there would come centuries later the ultimate Messiah who would come and fulfill this word ultimately. And what Matthew is recognizing is that the healing ministry of Jesus was a direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. So when the early Pentecostals got a hold of this, the early Pentecostal holiness people, they were all coming out of the holiness movement that believed in healing. There was, there was a, a great movement in, in the late 1800s with the Methodists in America where God was moving in healing. And so the early holiness and early Pentecostals believed in this. And they believed since it's linked to Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 talks about the Messiah is going to come and he's going to suffer. And then those passages were fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus. That they understood that healing then was connected to the cross. That healing was wrapped up in what Jesus did in the cross. So if you look at the early Pentecostal denominations, Church of God, Symbols of God, Pentecostal Holiness, uh, Foursquare, they all have doctrinal statements that include a line something like this. We believe healing as in the atonement. And they made a huge statement when they said that. They're saying we don't believe healing acts on God's sovereign will. He'll heal those he wants to and those he doesn't want to, he doesn't heal. They didn't go for that. They said no, that healing is connected back to what happened on Calvary just like our forgiveness of sins. I'm laying something down here. Just like forgiveness of sins is connected back to the work on Calvary. So if we believe he can forgive sins, we have to also believe that he can heal sicknesses and diseases. I'm going to say it for the people in the back row. Hallelujah. If we believe he can forgive sins, we must also believe that he can heal diseases. Let me go one further. If we believe it, how many believe it's God's will to save the lost? How many believe he's not picking and choosing people to be saved? If he's not picking and choosing people to be saved, then he's not picking and choosing people to be healed and delivered. But we've heard so much contrary and we've experienced things we couldn't understand that the enemy has tried to beat down our faith. But I'm telling you, I'm here to unlock that door and to open it wide open so we all get our faith levels elevated that we believe our Father has come not withholding any good thing from those who love Him. Hallelujah. But He's come to show us His goodness and to show us His healing and delivering power. He's saying, son and daughter, I love you more than any human being could ever love you. I've seen you from before you were formed in your mother's womb. And then when you were formed, my hand was on you. And I've been keeping you all these years. And I brought you to the place where you can receive from me everything that I have for your life. Come on, if you believe it, raise your hands and give the Lord a praise in here today. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Shout it out with me. God wants me whole. 
God wants me free and God wants me forgiven. Stand with me. The last, the last story that happens here is, is we bleed over into Matthew chapter 9 and there's a man who comes to be healed. His friends bring him on a cot. He's paralyzed. And they come to the house where Jesus is teaching, but it's so full they can't even get in. So his friends did what any good friends would do. They climbed up on the roof. And they started tearing through the roof. And they let, Je- they, let, they let this man down on a cot before Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and didn't immediately heal him. But he looked at him and said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And then the religious crowd got ticked off. How can this man forgive sins? And then Jesus looked at them with one of the greatest comebacks in history. Which is easier? To say, son, your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. You stand back and watch what I'm getting ready to do. God's getting ready to show up and show off. He heals the man. The man takes up his cot, paralyzed, takes up his cot and goes to the house. Proving that not only does the Son of God heal every sickness and disease, but he can forgive anybody's sin. He has that power. And, and, and stay with me. Come on, we're going to pray right here. Everybody stay with me. And, and you're maybe thinking, well, yeah, but Pastor Hans, that was Jesus. I ain't Jesus. Well, no, you're not Jesus. But you know what? You're one of his children. And he said, greater works than these shall you do because I'm going to my Father. Some theologians believe that Jesus only healed the sick to prove his divinity. Well, I believe that is true. But it didn't stop with him because when we get to the New Testament, all the apostles are working miracles. And guess what? It didn't stop with them. I can show you in church history how it went on through the centuries. I've done my PhD work in that area. How miracles didn't stop with the disciples. Some preach used to teach the miracles stopped with the last person that the last disciple laid their hands on. I mean, you have to really bend around to get that kind of dumbness. But I mean, forgive me for saying that, but I would say it again. But anyhow, that's that's crazy. Miracles have been happening ever since the church has been op- in operation. And miracles are going to continue to happen. Matter of fact, we are in a century of an explosion of miracles. Because since 1906, there's been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth like has, that really is unprecedented since the day of Acts. And what we've seen is an explosion in healing and miracles. I was on the phone with a friend. Uh, Friday, uh, Friday, he's talking to me. He has a 100 soul mandate on his life. He feels the Lord has challenged him. Win 100 million souls. He's already in the millions. And, he's, and, and he was a guy pastoring a normal American church trying to win this secular culture we're in. And all of a sudden, God opened up Zoom crusades for him as he has for me. And he started seeing blinded eyes open in Muslim nations. 
Start seeing lame people walk, African countries. And man's like, oh, we're in something different here, guys. This ain't about seeker-sensitive America where we're trying to make you feel comfortable in church. No, you need to be uncomfortable. Hallelujah. This isn't about, well, you've offended me. You sit, be used to it was you convicted me. Now it's what you've offended me. Come on, you need to get some backbone and get back in this thing. Well, I don't want the service to go too long. I wish it'd go all day long. I love being in the presence of the Lord. I'm working to try to get us to one service. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to soak in his presence. I want everything he has. We're in an accelerated day of miracles, an accelerated day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be part of it, raise your hand and say, Hans, I'm there. Come on, shout it out. I'm there. Shout it out. I'm whole. I'm free. And I'm forgiven. One more time. I'm whole. I'm free and I'm forgiven. Give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, Let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.